What's up, everybody? Welcome to the newest episode of Demo Day, the podcast for entrepreneurs and venture capitalists where we demystify the culture of joining one of the top accelerator, incubator, or VC programs from around the world. I'm your host, Sean Goldfan, CEO of Coefficient Labs, and on today's episode, we'll be interviewing Ovi Onyejikwe, founder and CEO of Unami, and a current participant in the Backstage Capital Accelerator program. At Unami, Ovi has built software that reduces the production time and budget of the animation process by 30 to 75%. He's raised early stage seed investment and is currently hiring and looking to add to his team. On today's episode, Ovi takes us through his journey as a young artist making drawings in class to moving through the ranks as one of the top creatives at TV networks like Nickelodeon and BET. Ovi also talks to us about the concept of drive and why this particular attribute is the most important thing for any entrepreneur to be successful. And he also talks a little bit about Unami, his company that is democratizing animation and making really motion graphics available to everyone of all shapes and sizes. Guys, stop, 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 stop. If you are watching this podcast right now on the Coefficient Labs website, get out of there, go over to the iTunes store and leave us a review. Coefficient Labs is so appreciative of your reviews on iTunes that we're giving away two $10,000 packages to one venture capitalist and one founder that really needs help with growth. So if you want help with growth from myself and the Coefficient Labs team, go head over, leave us a review. Without further ado, let's get into Demo Day. Ovi, thank you so, so much for joining us on today's episode of Demo Day. Thank you for having me. You're so welcome. So, Ovi, Demo Day is a podcast for entrepreneurs and venture capitalists, but really for entrepreneurs that are thinking about maybe joining an accelerator, an incubator, or some kind of a VC program. And what we're doing here is trying to uh, help all of these people understand what it's like to be in your shoes. And, um, you know, by telling us your story and, and learning about, you know, how you got to where you are and what your experience is like in these programs, uh, really excited to help a lot of entrepreneurs that maybe are in the same position as you. Definitely. So, Obi, tell us a little bit about, you know, I know right now you're at Backstage Capital, mm -hmm. but um, it's not your first time going through a program. So exactly. before digging back into, you know, your early life and what got you here. Mm -hmm. What is exciting about joining a program for you? Why did you decide to join it a program? Exactly. I mean, I think most importantly is first and foremost is support. Um, you can't do this alone and you're going to need a lot of advice, uh, advisors, mentors, people to make con major connections for you to not only raise capital, but help you build your company, build your team and go, you know, and maybe even uh, gain customers from there as well. So it's 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 imperative, especially if you're a first time founder. I highly recommend it. You know, unless you're majorly connected and you come from money or something like that. And hell, even if you do come from money, I think it's 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 advantageous. Now it seems as though the accelerator and incubator programs, while they're really really um kind of not I don't want to say focused, but are very prevalent in Los Angeles and San Fran, mm -hmm. they do you know spread out across the United States. Are you from Los Angeles, or how did you uh, how did you find yourself in this ecosystem? Yeah, I'm actually from New York, um, or I actually born and raised in Nigeria. I'm born in Nigeria, but raised in the U.S. But 
but most of my adult life is in New York. And so 15 years, I went through accelerator program there, but, and then New York is growing as well, um, aggressively when it comes to the startup world and, uh, accelerators and incubators as well. But, um, yeah, I went through accelerator there as well, um, called SLP and that was major that, that, you know, got me through that first startup for sure. What was it like, you know, um, a lot of people listening to the show have either immigrated, you know, from out of the country here. What was it like for you growing up? Or, so you were born and raised in, in Nigeria. How long were you living in Africa for? Oh, so like, I mean, we actually came to the States when I was like three. So okay. mostly born in the U.S., um, raised in the U.S. But um, I mean, I think, you know, it's the classic immigrant tale. You know, you don't exactly fit into everybody once you fr- uh, first get here. But I think we were in Dallas, Texas first. Um, it was a great environment, actually. Um, I remember growing up where I was probably the only black kid in class, but there was a ton of like kids from Indonesia, from China, from Japan, from Mexico. And we even had a cultural day where you came dressed up as your traditional clothes and brought food as well. Crazy. This all went down in Dallas, Texas. <laughs> um, how would your how would your your teachers or your classmates describe you back in you know early days, mm-hmm. elementary, middle school? Okay, um, art art kid you know i was big in art i uh, i was the kid who could draw you know that okay. was my thing growing up so so uh very creative early on mm-hmm. did you have an entrepreneurial spirit when you were in school or did that come uh with time as you started to get older oh yeah i think the entrepreneur my father's entrepreneur um struggled at it but he was an entrepreneur i think it really kicked in i got i think it kicked in when i got my first piggy bank mm. <laughs> and the mission was to fill that bad boy um and i think once i got to atlanta yeah i started selling candy to my classmates i'd buy candy for like i think like 50 cents each and then sell them for a dollar and that ramped up and then i remember one kid was like you know this is before you know you're really understanding your market so one kid was like man you guys healthy snacks because he was like a football player i was like all right i'll get you some peanuts and something like that and so yeah it just started scale over over time see that's really funny because my story is very similar in that when i was in third grade pokemon cards were sort of like the the rave and i realized that you know the pokemon cards were great but what people really wanted were the shiny cards mm-hmm. and so my whole thing was i would take the shiny cards out of the decks that i got mm-hmm. and then resell them as shiny only decks mm-hmm. and right and was able to make a a little wheeling and dealing in third grade exactly when did you start to transition from uh sort of a uh, you know, on-campus salesman, mm-hmm. uh, early entrepreneur into thinking this is something you want to do for your life and what you really want to uh, put your passion towards? No, I mean, I remember, God, I remember being in college. It was like the last year. And I'm really asking myself, damn, dude, are you really going to go clock in and clock out? That, that Like, that's what you're going to do? And I remember getting out. It was the first dot-com crash. Uh, I had uh, internships where I was actually getting paid. Then that become un- became unpaid quickly. And I started freelancing. I think I struggled to get any type of work. Then I finally got some freelance gigs. And that was great because it helped me bounce around from company to company. And I learned. I learned how each and every company worked. So this company worked this way. This company worked that way. And I learned what I didn't like as a, like uh, work, not only working in companies, but what kind of company I wanted. Mm. Um, I knew that production may not be what I wanted because what I quickly learned is you're as valuable as the number of clients that you have. You lose clients, you, your valuation goes down aggressively. Where the beauty with tech down the line and what I learned with tech was, it's kind of like having one t-shirt that you could sell to everybody. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Versus, okay, I got to print more t-shirts. I got to go into production. I got to do this. I got to change it up. Where you can make one product and you can sell it to everybody. So I think later on after working corporate America, 
I realized, matter of fact, I got fired actually. <laughs> I think that's what did it. I was working at BET and I got fired. <laughs> and um, and it was the ultimate thing. I was like, dude, this is not for you. This is not what you were meant for. Um, you weren't meant to be in these corporate environments where, you know, they're just not on your same level. They're not going in the same direction as you are. I mean, I, I remember predicting like uh, the major, uh, I guess, battle between HBO and Netflix. I was I remember I remember talking to my boss at, when I was at Spike about um, the oncoming of the digital streaming world and wanting to get, try to pivot the company into that direction. He was like, "Nah, you can't make money in that. You know, we can't sell ads on that and make money back." And so, you know, fast forward, I was like, "Okay, you got to go on your own. Mm-hmm. You know? Trust your in, your intuition." Exactly. What What other you know? What other experiences have you had where you've really had to trust your intuition that maybe is counterintuitive to what bosses or your parents would have had to teach you? Hell, I mean, God, even going into art and design, um, my parents were like my aunts and uncles. They were like, are you sure you want to do this? You know, I'm coming from a Nigerian background. You know, when you grow up in Nigerian, it's doctor, lawyer, accountant, pick one. <laughs> That's <laughs> it. And for real, for real. I mean, I'm talking about I'm the only one doing this in my family. Everybody else is straight up a doctor, lawyer, and accountant. <laughs> um so talk to us more about that because I think you're hitting on something right now that is really untalked about mm-hmm. in, you know, especially for, for uh, students that are international students mm-hmm. that feel like they're in this box and there's no, there's no choice for them. How would you give advice or what do you recommend for people that had a very similar upbringing, yeah. but maybe they didn't have the, you know, they don't have the, um, what they want to say to their parents. Yeah. What are your thoughts? Oh, look, this is how it went down. It was high school. I'm graduating. My aunt and uncle sit me down and they're like, look, you know, you're great at, you're great at math. You should be an engineer. This art thing, we don't know about this. We don't really think this is going to make money. And they're coming from heart, like a harsh world where, you know, you know, we didn't come to the States to starve. And so, you know, we came to start the U.S. to survive or to get ahead. Um, so I thought about it. I really thought hard about it. And I'll never forget um, some, th- I think it's a 3D Listerine commercial came on TV. And I was like, that could be you. That could be you working on something like that. That could be like, I think at the time, maybe even Toy Story was even out. And I was like, that could be you working on that. I was like, if you go their path, you will most likely regret it. You will be resentful towards them. And most importantly, you'll be resentful towards yourself. It doesn't matter how much money you make, you will not be happy. You will always watch a movie, 3D or animated or whatever, and you're going to be like, that could have been me. And you're going to have deep regrets about it. And so that's when I was like, you know, screw this. I'd rather take the plunge and fail on my own than go down their path and be resentful towards them and myself. Um, it's, it's, look, you live one life, you know, like... The engineering and the doctor jobs will always be there. You know, you should definitely go hard. My only, um, I guess, caveat to that is learn the business. If you're going to go be in design, art, animation, tech, learn the business. Learn how it all really works so that you're not going in blind. Bring the same energy and passion you would into med school or Mm -hmm. grad school, right? Because I think Mm -hmm. that that's sometimes, you know, you have people that have traditionally been going down one path and then they decide, oh, you know what? I'm not going to go to law school. I'm not going to go to, I'm going to start a business, but they don't have that same energy and that focus that you need to commit to, to really making the business work. Exactly. You know, if, if you don't have that drive, you know, you, you probably will fail in being an engineer or being a doctor, but you need major drive. I mean, medical school, what was that, 10 years? 
it's a decade, you know, like you need to have serious drive to make it through that. How did the conversation go? Because it sounds like, you know, mom and aunt sit you down. You took the night to really mm-hmm. think about it. Mm-hmm. Do you remember what it was like when you kind of went to talk to them and say, listen, I've made up my mind? Oh, yeah. I mean, I went to my aunt. It was, it was about that, by that point, my uncle didn't even want to sit down and talk to me. So my aunt was like, so I told her, look, you know, this is just what I want to do. I mean, I don't have the passion to do what you guys are even mentioning. So she was like, look, cool. Um, if you're going to do this, be the best. I was mm-hmm. like, don't worry, I will. And she was like, all right, that, that's it. You know, you're on your own. And, and I made it happen, you know. When you think about that time in your life, uh, we had a, a, a podcast uh, a little while ago with a guest who just talked about, you know, he was sitting at his job and he just kept saying to himself, like, you can do this. Mm-hmm. And uh, do you think that a lot of your confidence comes from, you know, that voice in your head within or, or was it through a mentor or your aunt or a family mm-hmm. member that really mm-hmm. gave you that ability to push through? I mean, it was a combination of both. It was, it was definitely always had that drive to kind of be adventurous. I was, I was always that kid that questioned things. If you said this is the way things were done, I was the one that was like, well, why? Well, mm-hmm. why? Um, and at the same time, I, I was really good at what I did. That helped a lot. And my teachers were major pushers of this is what you should do. You're good at this. And when you're not killing it in sports or football, whatever it may be, or even killing it even in academics, but you have this one thing you're crushing it at and everybody's like, man, you should be doing this. You're good at it. Then, yeah, that's that's where you should be going. Yeah. Man, that's really, really awesome. Now, once you decided that you wanted to become an entrepreneur, you wanted to just, you knew that the old way of things or, or you having this sort of, you know, nine to five job wasn't for you. Mm-hmm. What was the first step? So you've decided to become an entrepreneur. Yeah. Did you come, you know, right out of the gate with your mm-hmm. business or did it take you some time to get to where you are today? It definitely took some time. Um, first, I had to get out of really the worker bee or even the um, corporate mentality. I had to really be reprogrammed. And I knew that. I knew that I didn't know enough. So I started going to a lot of meetups, tech meetups, you know, how to build apps, you know, what what is um, UI UX for a mobile device look like? What is Mm -hmm. that like? What what, what actually, this is early um, iPhone. Like what technology is actually in here? I remember they went to one WeWork, um, not WeWork, but... um, meetup where they were breaking out, oh, there's a sonar system that you could program within this iPhone that could actually detect like how big a room. And I was like, what the hell? They got that shit in this phone? <laughs> this yeah. So it, the sky was a limit. I was really, I had to really get educated on tech and where it was going and, um, and what the current te- technology was out at the time. And so over time, I, just got, I learned more. And then I, then I started to surround myself around other entrepreneur, entrepreneurs who were educating me about the overall industry. I mean, I, re- I remember when, God, I think at the time, I didn't even know that Google was a billion-dollar company. And I remember a friend sitting me down. I was like, yeah, dude, they're like billions. Like, Off of what, email? And I was like, no, the ads. <laughs> and I think he said the same thing about Yahoo. And I was just blown away by how much money these companies were really making. And so that's I was really getting educated, not only on the tech, but the business side of it. So now, now as someone, you know, look, we met at an event, you know, clearly events are big, a big part of your early days and getting in mm-hmm. now in hindsight, would you have done it all the same exact way? I think one of the things that it's, um, you know, events can be both a blessing and a curse. Mm-hmm. It's the blessing in that you're expanding your network. You're having new ideas. They're teaching you about all of the different intricacies. And I sometimes feel like it's a curse because it's a little distracting from, mm-hmm 
you know, it almost, because naturally people are afraid to fail, mm-hmm. they then think, you know what, I need to go and, and gain that learning or gain mm-hmm. that trust. Would you have done it all the same way or have you learned about more about yourself going to these events? Yeah, I definitely would have done it the same way for sure. Um, the one advice I do give about um, events is you got to pick and choose your events. It can't be any old event. Um, and then, look, you'll start off going to like some of the janky events. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it, it happens. Um, but you quickly learn to filter them out. And then you quickly get invited to the better events. You know, you'll meet somebody, they're cool. Like, hey, you, hey, Google's actually sponsoring something and it's cool. And you just sign up here and or Yahoo's sponsoring something. And you start going to more quality events. And then you start to see, meet new and interesting people. So it's just all about filtering it out. And, you know, some are just about people finding jobs and, you know, and then mucking around and maybe even dating or whatever. But, you know, it's up to you to kind of filter people mm-hmm. out as you go in, you know. What advice do you have? Um, because I feel like in today's world, there's events for everything. Mm-hmm. So it seems like you've almost created a little bit of like a template for if it, if it doesn't meet these uh, requirements, I'm probably not going to get value. Mm-hmm. Do you have any sort of a system or advice for people in other industries on how they should think about going to? events exactly i'm look here's here's one of my top rules who's sponsoring it do your research on who's sponsoring an event is it a yahoo is it a youtube is it no first see who's who it is even if it's an individual look them up um why is that important to you because it'll definitely dictate the quality of the event um you know if it's a big name and they're really backing money behind it and especially if they're holding it at their facility yeah you need to go to that event um, that's huge, especially if it's a WeWork or a, um, or a shared office space or one of those guys. Like those, that's when you know it's going to be a bit better um, because they're not goofing off. You know, they're really going to have uh, a structured panel and they're going to be very serious about what they're talking about. Some events, you know, they'll straight up have almost a room full of investors in that bad boy, you know, which I rarely even saw when I was even in New York. So if you get to the point that you're going to quality events, that's how you know it's really quality because, you know, uh, invest, when investors outnumber startups, you've, you've kind of made jackpot. it. Yeah, exactly. The jackpot of all events. So sponsor is one. Having VCs at the actual event mm-hmm. is two. Anything else that are kind of like really good indicators for you? Yeah. Where do, where do they throw the venue? I mean, is it some silly restaurant, you know? Um, is it, does it look at least like a nice venue? Uh, that's, that's a major one. The VC part, hopefully, it takes time to get to those major events. But yeah, that the, the caliber of people going to those events as well. But yeah, I'd say... Most importantly, look at who's hosting it and where, where it's hosted at. Let's talk a little bit about Unami. I mean, this is, you know, where you, your, your passion, where you're currently investing your time and energy. Mm-hmm. Um, I had asked you before, you know, was this your very first company or did it take you some time to get mm-hmm. here? So um, what did you do before Unami? What was life like between kind of your normal day-to-day job mm-hmm. and where we are right now? So actually, Unami is my second startup. Second. Um, yeah. So my first startup was called Nito. Um, that was, uh, so it's, it was similar to fa- uh, Snapchat's facial recognition, um, feature or filter, um, Snapchat acquired our competitor Luxly to get that technology. Then AOL acquired Neato to get the same technology and they're doing the same thing with it. Right. Still to this day, I think some of my old team members are still there. Um, and then after that, I mean, I think right when we were exiting, um, Neato, I was, uh, building need, uh, Unami. And so once we exited, I made a decent amount of money and then quickly reinvested to starting Unami. Uh, I was in New York. 
moved out to California to start uh, um, Unami and then uh, go from there. Were you the CEO of Nito? Or- yeah. So with Nito, I started off as CEO. Then I eventually stepped down as just like lead software engineer. Um, I had a co-founder, had a bit of co-founder conflict too. So that was a part of it. Um, learned a lot about building teams with that with that startup. But yeah, once I stepped down, you know, kept it, you know, kept it going, and then we finally, thank goodness, and exited. What, uh, whether it be positive or negative, you know, what were some of the learnings or takeaways that you came out um, from, you know, formulating the right partnership? I mm-hmm. think that there, especially with the accelerator, I mean, there's a lot of companies that meet in the accelerator, the incubator mm-hmm. or co-working spaces. So, you know, for the 19 to 26 year old just getting started on their mm-hmm. first company and they've got a buddy that wants to join on, what advice do you have around formulating partnerships? So first and foremost, it's not it's not a democracy. It's, it's it needs to be a di- dictatorship. So fifty fifties generally investors don't like that. You could do it, but it, I would advise not to. One person needs to be leading the vision and execution of all of this. Um, you know, uh, is splitting up in three groups evenly another bad move. Four even worse. You know, um, somebody does need to have a final call. Better one douchebag leading it <laughs> than two people arguing and then it stops, you know. Um, I would say, you know, analyze the value of what each person brings to the table. Not, you know, it's not 50-50 because we're both not bringing that much value equally. It's just not, it's not realistic. If I could do the UI UX, business development, branding, and you're just an idea person, let's be honest, I, I'm... I'm coming, an idea guy yeah, too, right? Yeah, I'm coming to the table with a lot more resources than you. Now, if, you, if you're coming with like some money, you know, you're throwing in half a million, okay, now that's a different conversation. Yeah, un, I think that, you know, inexperienced uh, entrepreneurs tend to want to be around people like them. You know, mm-hmm. oh, they like my idea. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, I think as you get older, you realize that you really need those people to counterbalance where you're not the best at. Exactly. And so, yeah, if you're the idea person, then you need an engineer, especially if you're build, building software. And then you're also probably going to need maybe a de- business development person if that's not you. So you need to find your opposite or what you're like you said what you're not good at yeah you shouldn't be finding your twin and and <laughs> let that sink in deep because mm-hmm. i know a lot of business savvy business devy people mm-hmm. that are also working with other business devy sa- it's like no you need a cto <laughs> exactly yeah um and now what was the experience i mean it's crazy to think that like some you know you were sitting down watching this commercial thinking holy shit like i could be that guy mm-hmm. and then a couple of years later you're actually being acquired by one of the biggest companies in the world AOL yeah. what was it like for you in reflection what did your aunt and mom say during that time it's funny they 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 don't even understand what all this is you know they're still like they don't know what i do even they're just like <laughs> he just works with computers you know that's all, that's all he does that's all we know uh, a couple of times maybe he animates too that's it um, it was mind blowing to, to go through your first startup, you raise capital, you go through all this drama, office space in Wall Street to exiting with AOL. It, it was a roller coaster. It was, it was ups, there was major downs. It was just, it was insane. But I came out of it just like, oh my God. Like once it, I calmed down a bit, it was like, wow, this is insane. I think that one of the things a lot of uh, people understand that, you know, when you say there's the ups, there's the downs, mm-hmm. I think people um, really do understand uh, the concept of it. But what advice again, because I think until you're really a founder, mm-hmm. until you're really, uh, you know, alone at night, right, mm-hmm. taking in, what advice do you have for those that are in a slump? For whatever reason, they just, they things aren't going their way. 
Yeah, I mean, they, you will get the downs. Um, your slump, it all depends on what the issue ultimately is. A lot of times it's because you're alone. Like, you need advice. You know, stop being in that room or the office by yourself. Get help. Get assistance. Ask for help and assistance. Um, especially if you're a single co-founder, you know, or some single founder, you most likely will need a co-founder. Unless you're sitting on a stupid amount of money, I highly advise getting a um, co-founders within your company to help you because it's a lot of work. It's an insane, it's an insane amount of work. I, I want two more co-founders in the, within a company to help me kind of scale and grow. Um, so yeah, I would say you definitely need to reach out to people and, and not sit in a room or office festering and trying to figure it out on your own because you're most likely not going to figure it out on your own. Yeah, we had Ben Smith on the podcast uh, who's an advisor to Mucker and he was just saying like when you're feeling down, when you're in those slumps, start giving help to other people. Mm-hmm. Start adding value and just mm-hmm. give, give, give and very quickly you find yourself just like the world is starting to uh, uh, work your way and I found that to be really interesting that like it's really counter counterintuitive when you're feeling at your lowest to then try to look for someone else to help. But, mm-hmm. you know, again, something to consider uh, for anyone listening to this. Exactly. Now, you uh, exited uh, uh, Nito. Did you take some time for yourself or did you immediately get right back into your next business? Man, I, got a, I got immediately into it. Like, <laughs> it's ready to go. Yeah, like I think one woman was like, did you even go shopping? I was like, I think I bought a little jacket at most. <laughs> that was about it. And I got it on sale. So, <laughs> so no, I, I went directly into it just because because all I could think is you learned a shitload. Like you learned a lot. And let's use this knowledge, you know, and, and go right back into it, you know. And then, you know, the startup ecosystem was just getting better and better. And then like even out here in Los Angeles, I think I took a trip. I, forgot where, I think I went to New York and I came back and I realized, I think I read an article. I think I read four articles with the, where there's four new um, accelerators that popped up. I was like, God damn, this money flowing, you know, so... And so what was that like for you? Um, had were, had you already been to the accelerator in New York but prior to this? Yeah. So, yeah, uh, I went through um, with SLP and then uh, by, right after SLP, I think, yeah, I mean, the company got exited in, in about three and a half years. So that was definitely done. And then once I came out here, I, yeah, I was going to every, I think my rule once I came out to L.A. was three events or more every week. Every week. So I was working events, working then events, networking, talking. What's it like out here? You know, because I was new. Um, that led to better events. I think that led to another Yahoo event. That led to an event over at Stubbs. Um, then that led to meeting a woman that worked at a Trinet, who I talked to this morning, Anna. Um, then that led to, I didn't even know Stubbs had the pre-seller. I, I went to their events like two, two, three times and didn't even know. She, then she made an entry to Heidi at Stubbs mm-hmm. and then, then I got into pre-seller. It just, it just snowballs. Got to keep moving. Yeah. You got to keep moving. Yeah. And so what was it like, you know, uh, we'll talk about backstage. What was the pre-seller like for you? It was great. I think pre-seller was for me, um, I was, I was stuck. You know, I was, I was in a rut. I wasn't able to connect with the investors. Um, uh, my team was just like, it needed to grow, but I didn't know where to find the right people. Um, I was just being introduced to just just people who were just goofing off, who mm-hmm. weren't really the right people for my company. And then um, I got introduced to Stubbs, and it's crazy. They had just closed their application process, just closed it. Before you entered. Yeah, exactly. And so I presented my um, pitch deck to Heidi. They loved it to the point that they reopened it got me in, quickly reviewed, um, loved what they saw, and then I got in. Now, 
it seems as though whether it was from like that vision you had watching the commercial of I think you called it like the 3D mm-hmm. Listerine ad mm-hmm. uh, to the kind of Snapchatty facial recognition mm-hmm. and, and now with what you're doing mm-hmm. uh, in your current company you know, it seems like you're very fascinated by video and animation. And mm-hmm. so where does that come from? Is it tie back to your early roots as just a uh, drawer and a cr- creator? Yeah. Like I, you know, as a kid, I, like I got, I drew, drew comic books. I was always il- illustrating. I remember sending mail to co- Marvel saying, Hey, can you hire me? Um, it's fun to actually write you back too. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, like it was, I was always creative. Uh, I mean, I was great at art. I went through, um, even in high school, the last all four years in art, uh, art classes, my teachers were very encouraging for me, um, really pushed me. And then I ended up getting into Atlanta College of Art for one year, then ended up going to Georgia State, and then I went to school for graphic design. And the beauty of that was graphic design taught me, I wanted to learn 3D animation. Mm-hmm. They didn't have that program, so I ended up went going through graphic design. But the blessing was graphic design taught me business and art merged, and that was great because I learned the full infrastructure of why things are built the way they are, and, and just the structure of how businesses are, are formed around creativity. Yeah, and and just UX in general, right? Exactly. Like I think that. You know, what's crazy about tech businesses is that like it all centers around the concept of flow, mm-hmm. right? Like the user journey. You can call it a lot of different things, but um, w- the biggest obstacles that happen in flow, yes, there's some engineering, you know, you can run into roadblocks, right? Mm-hmm. But a lot of the hurdles come in the design. It exactly. comes in the ability to know that, oh, if I'm going to be going through this and I'm going to hit this, how can I design it in a way that's intuitive? Um, and I think that, to your point, is it's very helpful in business. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, God, I mean, think if you, you can have the best technology all, all you want, if the architecture is garbage, nobody's using it. Yeah. You know? Hands down. Now, uh, Pre-Cellerator was, uh, is it a, it's a three-month program? No, it's actually, God, it's actually pretty long. Um, it's a six-month program. Six months. Yeah, and if you're doing well, they extend you for nine. Yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty great. I mean, I think you get to do a deep dive. Um, it's, it gives you that opportunity to come in. I think they changed it now. I think they actually give equity now. I mean, give out cash now. Um, but it allows you to give you time to build your actual product get it ready for, before they even present you in front of um, investors and then go from there. So let's let's talk about Pre-Cellerator for another minute here. Mm-hmm. Who is Pre-Cellerator right for? For someone that's never heard of them, that's mm-hmm. listening to this, mm-hmm. you know, what, what kind of an entrepreneur do you think is the right fit for Pre-Cellerator? I would say if you're, they generally don't even, I don't think they even take idea stage. I think if you have a prototype, you've actually built the website, you actually build the app. It may be janky as hell, you know, buttons may not work. That's who you're for. You're not ready to be raising capital unless you come from a crap load of money or uh, if you're majorly connected. Um, but you're that. You're generally that. And then if you if the idea and the vision is great, and you have the, I guess the expertise or the um, backing or the background to execute and follow through, then great. Because I think another thing is that is uh, they won't take you if you you may have a great idea. If they feel like you're the wrong person to be building it, then they won't take you in. Got it. And then what's the delta or what's the difference kind of, I would imagine going from pre-accelerator to the next Mm -hmm. phase is a a step up. What are you getting in sort of the more normal backstage quake Mm -hmm. mucker that you're not necessarily getting in a pre-accelerator? 
So pre-accelerator, you're so early, the chances of getting investment capital was probably unlikely. And that's not a bad thing. It's just that you're just too early. Um, you haven't, it's, you're not fully fleshed out. The bigger guys, like whether it be um, Techstar, uh, Y Combinator, even Mucker, all those guys, they're going to start, that's when you're, they're going to want a bit of revenue. They want traction um, and traction, revenue. Traction, mm-hmm. revenue, or a phenomenal product that is fully developed, a fully developed team. Um, you want to start hitting like, if there's traction, product, team, you know, you at least need two, <laughs> at least, but some of them you need all three, but you at least need two. And what was that process like for you? Did you, t- again, back, same question, did you take time out of Precelerator or did you know right when you were in there that like you wanted to graduate to the next phase, whatever that might be? Oh yeah, like I had a plan. Like my thing was get ever, get as much out of it as, as possible. Because you, you get out of it what you put in. Yes. So my thing is like I needed to have a decent enough product at the very end, at least. Um, I needed, I was trying to get traction, but I still needed to develop the product a bit more. So that meant I needed to build a team out a bit more. So um, talked to a lot, talked to a lot of investors to get feedback on what I'm missing or what needs to be fixed in my deck and my overall business plan. So I think I even slightly pivoted a bit more to add a bit more features and um, I guess software to my platform based on the feedback you yeah. got. Mm-hmm. And then and then did you always know that you wanted to go to backstage or did you have kind of a time where you were deciding between multiple different different funds or programs? Man, I think at the time, I didn't even expect to go to another accelerator, to be honest. I thought I was the game plan was just to build this bad boy out and then um, get investment and just keep it going from there. Then once, um, I think I applied to Y, I was applying to Y Combinator, Techstar, all these guys. And then um, backstage, originally game plan with, with backstage was to just get investment capital. They, had, they, they hadn't even started their um, accelerator yet. So then once um, they presented the fact that they're going to have an accelerator, I was like, screw it. Let me go and definitely apply for this. And um, because, you know. I've heard they have a very, like, a very elaborate application program. Mm-hmm. I, I don't, what was the backstage program like for you? Yeah, I mean, I think it's similar to, like, you know, even Y Combinator and the Techstar, they kind of have the same form that you got to kind of fill out. Um, but yeah, it's great. I think they have a, a massive lineup of you know um, mentors that you talk you're talking to, people you're connected to, um, investors that come in and give you feedback. Um, it's great. I mean, they give an insane amount of feedback and information on scaling your your business and then uh, updating your deck. I think yeah, recently my deck got even better um, just from their feedback. And one thing I love about especially their feedback on my deck was um, it was pragmatic. It wasn't just well, this is just what investors want to see. You know, it's oh, you should do this because of this and this because of that. And that's far more um, beneficial than just do it because. Or because you learn the why behind it. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And so, you know, um, for for those that have not heard about Backstage, what are some of the things that maybe you've learned since you've been there that you weren't expecting mm-hmm. but have since kind of popped their head up, whether it be helpful or not mm-hmm. as helpful? Mm-hmm. Any takeaways? I mean, I think um, you just get to, you know what it is? It, they really, by being in this program, it really showed me the other side. Now I got a deep dive look as to what it looks like to be at an accelerator. I mean, uh, not accelerator, but a VC firm. I see the detailed in, uh, setup and layout of who works there, how it works, uh, their LPs, how they raise money, how how the same issues I got to go through and raising capital, they got to go through as well. It was interesting. It was fascinating. Meaning, because I'm, I'm I'm familiar, meaning backstage is like a venture capital first and accelerator was something they've added on. Exactly. Oh, interesting. Exactly. And so, so that same money that funds you as an accelerator, they still got to raise that. 
you know, the same way they have to uh, raise um, their the, the venture back. They're fine. Yeah, exactly. And and so, um, what about uh, some of uh, roadblocks or mm-hmm. things that you know you weren't expecting, but that have kind of popped up? And you know, any words of advice for you know maybe uh, things to avoid if you're a startup going into your first program? Yeah, I mean, I think. The program will definitely get you through everything. The top advice is go in, you know, go to all the meetings, go to all the events, um, talk to everybody, ask questions, follow up, get, try to get a co-founder. Um, if you don't have a co-founder, get an assistant because you're going to be overwhelmed with a lot of information. So you're going to need somebody to help you keep that organized to follow through. Because even though if they, even though they connect you with, let's say an advisor or, um, or a mentor, that advisor and mentor has a life too, and yeah. they're going to be very busy. So you're going to need to follow through. Sometimes, as a matter of fact, recently, one guy, he didn't return the email. As a matter of fact, multiple people. I had to re-email all of them again in, in the following week. So I needed a chart. I had to literally make a big chart to, of people who have to reach back out to and, and contact. It's such an interesting concept because, you know, on one end, on, on one hand, the value is the network. The more people you meet, the more humans you add value to, the bigger your network is, the more, you know, you have to work with. And then, you know, at the exact same time, you sort of have, uh, you know, only so much time in the day that you can be spending meeting with people and working on your business. And so it's, it's such a balance that you have to find while you're there. Exactly. I mean, I remember going to, um, uh, a Techstar event where they were talking about what it's like to go through Techstar. And of course they, I think Techstar has the two first two weeks of, I think they call it what, found, founder whiplash. Okay. Yeah. And so one guy, I think one guy or woman ended up getting an, uh, like an assistant. They were just like, this is, I think they, I think a couple of people told them like, you need to get an assistant or else this is going to be hell to, to keep up with. And sure enough, I think they, they finally did it. And it was night and day difference. Yeah. So. Yeah. Because what's also you know, I was kind of alluding to it a minute ago, but like there is this value, like such good value from meeting these people and gaining their knowledge. But this part of me feels too that like tech stars, mucker backstage mm-hmm. by creating these environments where you have to constantly be moving. They're sort of like, you got to move to your point. Like you have to keep moving. Mm-hmm. And even though they are, you're adding value by having these people in this network, it's mm-hmm. kind of like that accountability, right? Yeah. And it's tough too, because you got to get your work done, right? You, you got to run a company. So, I mean, they're eating up a good chunk of your time in that two, three week, six week, uh, I mean, three week, uh, three month or six month program. Um, so you got to balance that out with your team. Talk to us a little bit more about uh, your business, Unami, right? So mm-hmm. wh- um, what are you trying to solve with it? Why are you so passionate about this company? Yeah, I mean, so I come from the animation and graphic design and motion design background. I worked on multiple ad agencies. I worked at Nickelodeon, uh, BET, Spike, which is now Paramount, um, even Cartoon Network. And, you know, I've created animated content. I've got had clients that come to us all the time. For I have a you know, production company and multiple people come to us wanting animated content. It's, ex- it's expensive. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, if people look at it and think, oh, I could get Toy Story for only like 10K. It's like, do you not read these articles that list this bad boy as $300 million budget? Like, what makes you think when you come to us, it's going to be a thousand? Yeah. Know? It, literally, people will come to you thinking, oh, that only costs like 5,000, right? Like, are you, if it costs 5,000 to make Toy Story, I'd be a rich man, right? <laughs> like, extremely rich man right now. Are you kidding me? I have my own streaming channel right now, like both animated content. But um, I really wanted to really democratize it. 
Um, I really wanted to create tools because I, I remember, I remember, God, I remember being at BT one time and this one company came and sold BT some software and I'm not going to name the software, but it was the shittiest thing I ever seen in my life. Okay. It came, it looked like it came straight out of the nineties. It was bad. Like, like worse than Craigslist bad, <laughs> like, like really bad. So, um, and I'll, and then I think they told me price tag, which was around maybe half a mil for a year. And then they charge additional fees to have us train and use it. I was like, you got to be kidding me. You guys are making bit. I'm not even mad at you. I'm not even <laughs> I'm mad impressed. at you. <laughs> I'm just impressed. Yeah. I was like, this is your hustle? So I was like, I know I could build software better than this. And so it really got me in a mindset. Was like, I could do this. I could definitely do this. Give me a team. I could, I could definitely roll some stuff out. So um, I definitely saw the pain points in creating content and uh, saw opportunities to make it a lot easier and simple, simpler. Um, so our first bit of software is like the 2D lip syncing software. We sure. automate the lip syncing, have a lot of features that optimize it and make it even faster and more accurate. Uh, we have a 3D version that we're about to roll out as well, which the pain point's even worse with 3D. It's, it's extremely expensive. Um, and then we have some motion capture software we're, we're going to be rolling out with. So instead of you, um, a software, instead of you going to the motion capture facilities with the tracking suits and all that, um, and I think those facilities are starting at $2,000 an hour. Um, our software will um, automatically do that with um, uh, markless uh, technology. So you don't need markers. You don't need a special facility. You can use any camera and it'll wow. track your movement, bring it back into any 3D program. You're good to go. So so let's talk about some of the different like use cases or the perfect types of customer. Mm-hmm. Maybe if you could start with, if you're the... If you're an entrepreneur, that if you're an agency, that who would be the right, you know, the perfect type of customer using your product, and what's the scenario they may find themselves needing it? Yeah, so we're we're definitely starting B two B first, so business, the enterprise businesses first, so like your Nickelodeons or your Cartoon Networks, um, and then of course the companies that they outsource to, uh, whether it be in China, India, or even the Philippines. Um, so we're starting there first um, because they're going to have the biggest impact. So, I mean, especially let's say you're some uh, animation studio in Africa even or in Nigeria or Ghana or, um, you know, now we could definitely optimize your workflow and then de- definitely save you a lot of money and time and then allow you to kind of do have a stronger bid for other animated content that's rolling out. Um, then from there, our top w- next tier would be the YouTube content creators or any independent content creator in general. But um, and hopefully we can kind of lock in some of the people that are. Um, I don't know if you ever heard of Channel Frederator, mm-hmm. but um, they're basically like you know Maker Studios. Yep, they're like the animation version of Maker Studios. Okay, so, so like be, Cartoon Network type. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. So instead of all live action, they're all creating animated content. So getting those guys in because at that point you're going from making content weekly, monthly to daily. Mm. So that changes the revenue uh, stream drastically. Um, because YouTube will pay you more for additional content, and then this is more promotion for you at the at the end of the day. And then the last, of course, is students and universities. Um, beauty with them is universities will lock in about at least sixty seats. Um, so that's sixty uh, su- subscriptions from our at least at least yeah exactly. So you're looking at the classrooms that are no less than twenty five seats. Then of course the computer labs right. So yeah, and then if you're talking, I think one school we're talking to. 
They were like, I think they said they had 5,000 students. And I was like, well, how many you think you can lock in? I'm thinking they're going to tell me like 60, 30, tw- you know, 12 or something like that. They were like, no, nah, we're going to lock you in for like about 1,000 mm. students. I was like, hell yeah. No. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah, I mean, because when I, I went to University of Miami for advertising and the amount of tools that they would give us access to mm-hmm. for research, for, you know, BDI tools, um, uh, I could imagine that for small animation schools or, mm-hmm. or graphic design where they don't have animation as the focus exactly. could be utilizing this technology. Exactly. What are you most excited about now? I mean, it sounds like there's some new things rolling out here. Yeah. Um, what's what's really exciting? What's driving your uh, your day-to-day week? Yeah, I mean, I think the top thing is just um, wrapping things up with Backstage. So the program ends, I think, in another two to three weeks. So getting ready, um, about to launch a new updated uh, version of the 2D software. So that's exciting. So we got a, quite a few animation studios ready to use it, um, major names. So hopefully we can lock those in and they'll be, it'll be pretty easy to raise capital after that. Wow. Congratulations. Obi, where can people get in contact with you? So, so if people want to reach out, they want to, they want to try your, your software, they want to learn more about your, you know, what you're looking for from an investment perspective, where can they find you? Yeah. So you can visit me on my website. It's called get you, So G E T U N O M I.com. Or you could email me directly at Obi at get Obi, this has been an incredible, incredible episode of Demo Day. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Next on Demo Day. The more that you're empowering the staff around you, the better it's going to be for you and for everyone around you because people will want to have ownership of that company and of that space. And it becomes less like a job and more like a life without sucking the life away from you. 